Welcome to the Philosophy of Fighting Podcast with your hosts, Arturo and Anu. All right, this is episode 59, 59. And yesterday we had a UFC fight night in San Diego. And I was going to start off talking about that since I went to it. Why wouldn't I? I'm in San Diego. Yeah, I've never been to an actual live event. I tend to like watching stuff on TV in the comfort of my own home. Mm. What, what was, and plus you're watching, I always feel like I'm going to watch on the screen anyway when I'm at an event. Mm. Now, like when I went to like the, like the Giants game, I was like, I'd rather just be home. It's warm. So I don't know. You tell me though. What, what was it like to be there? So it's awesome. The last time the UFC had an event, I, I was there. It might have been a strike force event. I don't even remember. I've gone to like a couple events at the same location and it was awesome. I mean, San Diego's a fighting town. So like you go there and you see all the local fighters, you know, and then just, I mean, you still have your UFC marks, but a lot of people come from Mexico to support Mexican fighters. So of course, on the card is going to be a ton of Mexican fighters to bring them all in. Surprisingly, there was a bunch of Ecuadorian people for Cheeto Vera too. So many Ecuador flags in the crowd. It was interesting. And of course, you know, San Diego heroes with Angela Hill, Dom Cruz. So people were really high on them. But yeah, yeah it's, I it's love- a great energy going to the event. I love that. Yeah, Chido Vera is representing the Ecuadorians. Mm-hmm. And I think, who's the guy from Argentina? Panzanibio? Yes, yeah, he's from, yeah. yeah, I think it's Argentina, yeah. So He wasn't I mean, on the Mexico, card, but that's funny that you bring him up, but yeah. I bring him up because when we think of Latin Americans and fighting, I think oftentimes we think of Mexicans, and yeah. maybe some Cubans, but it's trickling down further and further south. And I think like the sport is spreading. And yeah. I think Cheeto is like a killer. And Ecuador is a small country, like right on the equator, like squished between like Peru and Brazil. Like people forget about it. And yeah. so it'll be cool if they get a champion like Cheeto Vera. Yeah. And, and the energy of yesterday's card, it's the cards we don't talk about that end up being better. Because I think yeah. it's, like the Bu- it's like the Buddha. You can't have expectations. Like, you know, they just kill you. Comparison and Dude, no so one when- expected anything from this card. Yeah, when I first bought tickets, I was like, oh, Vera Cruz, that's an awesome fight. Every other fight on there, I was like, oof. I'm like, if this fight gets canceled or a guy gets injured, this is going to be brutal. And lo and behold, the entire card was incredible. I was there for the prelims. Like, it was wild. I only started watching at the co-main event. Mm -hmm. But to me, that was one of the greatest fights I've ever seen. Yeah. So I thought I was biased because I'm there and I'm like, am I witness? Like, this is insane. The energy, the back and forth. These guys are killing each other. And just how back and forth it was. Yeah. Amanda was like trying to talk to me and I was like, I have to watch this fight. Like something just like (laughs) dialed in. And it was like because there was a nice mix of some technique, but just war. And then like just interesting combos. It just felt like a video game. And reversals. Uh, and so many reversals. Nate Land Landwer. Landwer I'm not sure. Yeah. Uh-huh. Landwer. He's yep. from Tennessee. And when he was giving his speech, I had no idea what he was saying. Like he just <laughs> sounded so out of it and like such a hick. I loved it. And then well, David He Onama, definitely got knocked out in that fight. The first round, he dropped on his face and it looked like the next punch brought him back to life. Yes. The first round, David Onama's from Uganda. So this yep. is like people from two parts of the world. 
David Onama looked so long and strong, like freaky. And Nate just looked like a tank that you can't stop. And the first round, David just dominated. Yeah. And then in the second round, Almost Nate just dominated. Yep. And then the third round was just like silly theatrics, but it was amazing. Yeah, it, it was wild. Onama was a heavy favorite, too. He was like, I think, minus 300. I think this is one of those fights, too, though. In like two, three years, Onama would win it. Yeah, maybe. He, yeah, he is he, on the up. He, he's on the up. He's young. He's like got so much talent and strength. Yeah. And he looked dead tired halfway through the second round. But still, when he would throw flurries, Nate was like, holy fuck. Like he almost hit me. Like it was just. So here's what was different, too, is I watched it live and I got the impression that they were both very tired. It wasn't just Onama. But then I watched it again on ESPN Plus with commentary, right? When you're watching it live, there's no commentary. And I loved it. I'm a big fan of muting commentary in general when I watch fights. But going to the event, I didn't even think about it. The only time I remember, oh, yeah, DC's here because after the fight, he interviews him. Mm -hmm. Right? Mm -hmm. But anyway, watching on ESPN Plus and hearing the commentary, it did kill the energy a little bit. Because they're just like, oh, Nama's so tired. Oh, Nama's so tired. Or he's just really beat up. You know? Yeah. Also, on the finish of the third round, he looks like he was 30 seconds from finishing Landwehr. So, like, is he that tired? Like, I, I don't know. It was a weird thing to just, like, keep saying it, keep okay. saying it. When yeah. I say tired, I don't necessarily just mean, like, his heart is tired. I take it as, like, the energy bar in, like, a video game. Like, mm-hmm. he's, he's weakened. And a lot of that is obviously the strikes as well and the kicks. Yeah, and the I just think he's beat up. Yeah. Yeah, he's beat up. And I think Nate was also tired, but mm-hmm. he was kind of dictating where the fight went and was throwing him around. Mm-hmm. And I did like, like DC was saying big brother. I was saying that even before DC said that, cause that's what it felt like mm. where it felt like in the second round, he was finally like, all right, you're tired. Now I can work my game. And I know yeah. I'm not tired. And apparently Nate Lander Landwehr. Uh, he's been fighting in M1 in like Russia for many years. And I was like, how many Americans are going to Russia and fighting with those dudes? So this guy's got to be mm. some tough motherfucker and like to win there and be a champion there. And then like he's been doing decent in the UFC, like win, loss, win, loss. But I felt like he sensed, all right, this kid is young and he just fucked me up in the first round and he's tired. Now is my time. And he was relentless. I don't know. I just loved his attitude. Going yeah, on. he gave me that the Tennessee type energy where it felt like kind of like the Arkansas energy of Bryce Mitchell. Yes. He gave me like that type of vibe. And I'm like, this guy's and even like when I watched it on ESPN Plus, I think they were talking about like how he is a different type of person for sure. Yeah, like that rural strength, like that country mm-hmm. strong. Like, mm-hmm. and yeah, he showed that. So and yeah, that fight was just amazing. Never heard of these people, and it was just like, holy fuck. Like, that was yeah, there's a lot of people on this card. So, like, I'll just tell you a little bit about some of the other fights. So, I, I, Brian Persky, who was on last week, was talking about the women's fight being an absolute brawl, and it was. It's similar to Landwehr and Onama, where these two just like slugged it out for three rounds. It was Yasmin Yaraguay versus also Yasmin Lucinda. And they, I think that was both of their first UFC fights, mm-hmm. if I'm not mistaken. And- and they're both young, like 2023. 20, yeah, yeah. It's crazy that uh, Lucindo is actually the youngest fighter in all of UFC. Yeah, and uh, yeah, they just, they were trying to decimate each other for three rounds and it definitely showed. Like their energy was super high. It was an absolute war. 
And yeah, the fact that Landwehr and Onama like took it up a notch on the next fight was even crazier. It just collectively got higher, that energy. But uh, there's some also other cool things too. So Devin Clark is a relatively known fighter, but Azamat uh, Mirzakhanov isn't. But Mirzakhanov is 12-0 and 0 now after beating Devin Clark. And he like, he like killed him. Like it was... It was very interesting to see. It's another guy whose name ends with Nav, who you're going to want to pay attention to for sure. Any OV you fear. No, yeah, man. a light heavyweight. This is a guy that has like almost like a Fedor-like demeanor. Just calm, soft body, but just a killer. Yeah, the soft body people. Yeah. <laughs> they're scary. How did they get there? Like, you know, like they did It's yeah. like that quota, beware of old men and young occupations. Like, how mm-hmm. did they... Or we're like in an occupation where young people die. Like mm-hmm. how the fuck did he make it? There's also a fight, Jose, Josh Quinlan versus Jason Witt. I only just bring up this fight because Quinlan fucking hit Jason Witt with such a great shot and knocked him down. Mm-hmm. And then he jumped on him and was about to punch him and then pulled back. Yep. And it, it was just so nice to see. Cause sometimes like you see the second, third, fourth shots, and like I get it, like you're in the heat of battle and you're waiting for the ref to stop it. Mm -hmm. But he had that much confidence in the hit and saw him down and then followed him just in case. And then pulled up. I thought that was just so respectable. And so Josh Quinlan, like I have to be a fan of his now, you know, like I think it's nice when people do stuff like that. Mm -hmm. There were some other like notable things. Uh, Nina Nunez, Amanda Nunez's wife, not only did she pull out a win, but she also retired. Oh, that was his wife. Okay, cool. I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. She's like, I want to have another baby. I'm done. Oh, dang. That's crazy. And she beat Cynthia Calvillo, which is no easy task. That's good. Went on top. It's amazing. And then Angela Hill, I know, is also old. And she's a San Diego fighter. And she won three-round decision against Lupe Goninez, which was an awesome fight. Yeah, Angela Hill still got it. She's still kind of old. I think she's like 35, 36. I, I thought she might retire after that fight, but yeah, she's still going, I guess. And then, yeah, let's just, should we just talk about the main event? Dominic Cruz versus... Yeah, Tito yeah. Here, here's another guy who I thought like after losing might retire, but he didn't. Yeah, I could. But I think a lot of people are saying he should retire or he should fight somebody like Frankie Edgar. Yes, that, that's what I'm thinking. He needs like a selective fight, but he looked great, though. I know he did look great. Honestly, like that guy is so unique because like injuries, age, like he looked so springy. He was winning the fight until he got knocked out. He's got like some of the best mental toughness I've ever seen for a fighter. He's had he's had three ACL injuries in the NFL. I think there's only one player that's come back from three ACL injuries. And that's Thomas Davis, who's like a linebacker for the Panthers. Like, Mm. and he did this in fighting one championships after all these injuries and still moves crazy good at 37 years old. Yeah. And still fighting the best of the bantamweight division has. It's just, he'd never had that much power. And now yeah. it seems as though his chin is gone and people are catching him. Yeah. But the fact that he was like dropped a couple times and like sprung right back into like takedowns or whatever it is like, and the fact that like Cheeto didn't hit him, that much comparatively now Cheeto hits with a lot more force he doesn't need to hit him that much but yeah I don't I don't know I thought Dominic Cruz looked great and he's still like I think his his fight even though he got knocked out fourth round I still think he looks very much like a top 10 fighter 
He does. But I was listening to Cheeto talk Mm -hmm. after the fight. And his analysis was interesting. When you look at Cheeto, you think he's like some scary dude. He's got like a fucking skull tattoo, you know? It's pretty nice. So nice. Yeah. And the way he talks and the way he like presents himself. I also found that he has like a daughter that has special needs. And when he was like first fighting in the UFC, like he raised money and was like, I got to win fight of the night because I have to pay for my daughter's surgery. Like such Mm -hmm. a stand up dude. But he was saying how like, yeah, look, I know Cruz was blitzing and it seemed like I was nervous, but he was like, he was telegraphing everything. It's like, I just had my elbows up and I was aware of everything. And my impression was was Cheeto looked really calm the whole fight. And yeah, so and he, ba- he backed it up in the assessment. So maybe like to us, like it looks pretty what Dom is doing, but it wasn't that effective. So I, maybe, he won the first two rounds. Yeah. So what I'm saying is he did win the first two rounds, but like, yeah, he can be a good three round fighter, but maybe he's not. Once you've already been champion and now like you're on the back end of your career, like, and he's an analyst, like what's the point? I also think Cheeto's fighting? surging. I think Cheeto's getting a title shot. It's just tricky because you have Jose versus Jose Aldo versus Marab, and then you have Peter Yan versus O'Malley. And if O'Malley beats Peter Yan, then for sure, he O'Malley should get the f- title shot. No, probably. But if Aldo wins too, Aldo has a claim to it. Like every right now, Al- Aldo would have to have like a first round finish to really have a claim to it. I think Cheeto's win over Dom will be the bigger one. I don't know. To me, it's like kind of equal. So yeah, actually, and Cheeto said this in the ring. He goes, whoever has the best finish, I think will get picked. So mm-hmm. I love how level-headed he is. Like, not like yeah. I did this, so I should get it. Like, I appreciate that, like, humility. But yeah, if Aldo wins in spectacular fashion or if O'Malley or, I don't yep. know, they're all so close. There's probably no division that's like as tight as Bantamweight. Yeah, TJ. Right, like six deep at least. Like I feel like bantamweight is like at least six, five, six. Oh deep yeah. Points. Like yeah, they all have a claim. I don't know if there's another division where like everybody in the top five or six has a claim. That's a good point, and they're all active. Yeah, and they're all fighting right now, like yeah. in the next two months. So it's like yep. almost like a mini tourney, like that's formed. Yeah, yeah, it is like that. It's an f- interesting way to see it. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I definitely have become a fan now of like a few of these uh, fighters. Nate, definitely. Nate Landwehr, definitely. David Onama, yeah. too. I'm going to follow his career. Yeah. I feel like, oh, he's... The type Dude, three, watching the cards that don't look like anything are not only way better, but then like you fall in love with like these different fighters. Yeah, it's pretty sick. Yeah, I, I should pay... Sometimes like I don't care, so I don't watch it. It's like, how much sports can we all watch? But mm-hmm. yeah, I definitely respect a lot of these guys. And I'll go back to that fight a few weeks ago. If you guys haven't seen it, watch... Gamrot versus Saruki, and mm-hmm. he told me to watch that fight. That was the best fight I also think I've seen in years. Yeah, different, oh, crazy. different than different than Nate and Onama because Gamrot versus Sarukian was just the most technical fight I've ever seen in my life. Yes, it wasn't sloppy. It wasn't just like a brawl. It was like holy fuck, these guys are at a, another level. It's like a movie, like choreographed, mm-hmm. where it didn't feel like it'd be real, but it's like oh shit, this shit was real. Yeah. Yeah, like if we're going to talk the difference between those two fights, like someone that doesn't know the game, like, oh, they're going to like Landwehr versus Onama. And then someone that like trains a little bit or something, like, oh, you're going to like Saruki and Gamera. Yes. Yeah, yeah. exactly. But yeah. I think everybody they're was both like, great, though. All, yeah. Exactly. Yes, they're both great. But there's your difference in which one, if I have to sell. 
See, yeah, I, do, I appreciate the more technical one when Same. it comes down to it, because it's like, all right, that is more special. Mm-hmm. But yeah, the other one was fun too. So, yeah. And Cheeto Cruise was like a mix of both, but it was like, wow, it's nice to see these young guys rising and to do what he did to Cruise. Like, Cruise has never been knocked out, knocked out like that. Like, yeah. Cejudo beat him, but Cruise complained yeah. and Cruise got up quick. This was like, Cruz was wobbly for like minutes. Yeah. And that broken nose was so gross. Like seeing like a Cheeto's foot connect to his face and his nose break instantly was like, fuck, like highlight real shit. Yep. Yep. Did you know, I have to say this too, Landwehr's quote, it's like, oh, I don't negotiate with fatigue. No, I didn't. I didn't. Oh, know I love that quote. It's like, I don't negotiate with fatigue. They're like, man, you're not tired. He's like, nah. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. They're like this guy's like Kobe Covington. Like he's just like no, I no, I don't fear hurt fatigue. Doesn't matter. Yeah, but Covington gets like Covington's like a little more like a wrestler bad guy. Where yeah. Nate Landwehr was just like he was like one of these guys that you'd find in a swamp or like you know yeah. somebody that's like oh my dad's the toughest guy in the world and you're like no and like that's his dad well, i mean like, just like crazy let's not dude. take away he's a little bit of a showman too multiple times in the match he would release onama to put his hands to the crowd like he's a wrestler like he needs yeah. that energy to like finish the fight or some shit <laughs> yeah i mean it was guaranteed dude, when I he did that i was like you're getting 50 grand like they're definitely getting yeah. 50 grand in fight of the night like, i mean he's catering to san diego it felt like a gladiator arena and he's doing that and everyone's going nuts yeah yeah great fights great yeah. fights all around yeah should we should we move on to our new segment that we're gonna do yeah let's do it okay so we're gonna try to incorporate more philosophy into the program and so uh, we're gonna read along with a famous philosophical military philosophy and military history tech. And yeah, go through them and yeah, just read them together probably over a few weeks. Educate people, huh? Yeah, and ourselves too. Yeah. And we're sure. gonna we're we're gonna start with the most famous one, which is Sun Shu's The Art of War. And this is a book, it's the most famous military treaties ever written, but it's also applies to business and art and Dude, I think it's one of the most famous books ever written, not even just to like genre it. Yeah, exactly. And we've all heard quotes and stratagems from it, but let's just read the book together and dissect it. And so let's let's go through a couple chapters today. Okay. All right. So I got to pull the sun shoes, the art of war. This one was translated from Chinese by Lionel Giles in 1910. So it's something to keep aware, right? With translations and how things move. Sometimes you have to put a little bit of your own thoughts onto it to make it more modern, right? So we're going to go with chapter one, laying plans, laying plans. Sun Shu said, the art of war is of vital importance to the state. Two, it is a matter of life and death, a road either to safety or to ruin. Hence, it is a subject of inquiry which can on no account be neglected. Three, the art of war then is governed by five constant factors to be taken into account in one's deliberations when seeking to determine the conditions obtaining in the field. These are the moral law, heaven, earth, the commander, 
and method and discipline. The moral law causes people to be in complete accord with their ruler so that they will follow him regardless of their lives, lives undismayed by any danger. Heaven signifies night and day, cold and heat, times and season. Earth compromises distance, great and small, danger and security, open ground and narrow passive, the chances of life and death. Nine, the commander stands for the virtues of wisdom, sincerely benevolence, courage, and strictness. And ten, by method and discipline are to be understood the marshalling of the army in its proper divisions, the graduations of rank among officers, the maintenance of roads by which supplies may reach the army, and the control of military expenditure. These five heads should be familiar to every general. He who knows them will be victorious. He who knows them will not fail. Okay, so there's a bunch of these stanzas like going through. Do you have anything to say so far, Arturo? Should I kind of just keep going? Basically, yeah, so, I mean, it's, it's pretty it's pretty basic. I do think the, the first thing he says is very black and white in that if you're not trying to become safe, then it's just you're in danger. Exactly. This is a matter of life and death. Mm-hmm right? Safety or ruin. And so you must study it at all costs. And then he breaks it down into the moral law, heaven, earth, the commander, method, and discipline. And then he broke each of those down, right? Moral law is like following the state, which is kind of unique because right now in our country, we're worried about the state, right? And oftentimes we're like, are we going to fight the state? Who's on our side? Who's not on our side? Mm -hmm. It's interesting. I mean, uh, we all we're putting the most money into safety all the time though. Yeah, that too, right? With policing and... I think most people are in line with that in the world, but there are people that do contend that precedent too, where it's like, no, we don't have to worry about safety if we're just better people. Yeah, okay, sure, but then there's bad people. Yeah, and those are often first world people. Yes. And and people that have oceans or mountains, geographic features to protect. Yes. And just there hasn't been violence in a long time. Yeah, and they're difference. not and they're not hungry for resources. Yes. Yeah. And that's a big difference between America and Europe. Like a lot of Americans will think Europeans are like pussies, but the thing that Americans don't realize is Europeans have fought wars in their own countries. Mm-hmm. We've never fought a war in America. So Civil. our yes, that was a yeah, okay. Civil war. Besides that, that was a, we were our own worst enemy. Yeah. No one from abroad has ever come here and invaded us. Right. And so we don't know war. We have soldiers that know war, but those soldiers also don't know war having to defend themselves here. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's tricky. So, and even the second part that he brought up heaven and earth, right? That's like geography, knowing the time of month, when we're fighting, how we're fighting, what is the location, like what time of year are we invading, like Napoleon going into Russia. He mm-hmm. talks about the commander, right? The essentialness of having leadership and generals that you trust, that you want to go through and fight for, and method and discipline. Are you going to have a corrupt army? Look at what fucking happened to Afghanistan last year, right? Everything that America has done to try to build an Afghani army failed completely because they had no discipline and they had no, I don't know, desire in some ways. Like the Taliban yeah. were a much more cohesive unit than the Afghan National Army that we tried to build. Yeah. Okay, so you, like you said, it's pretty basic, right? Yeah. But important. Now, would you, would you think about, just to 
kind of bring it into MMA or just fighting in general. Do you think fighters think about those types of things when they accept a fight? So yes, like you'll see like some consider like the location. Do you of think course. like time of year? Do you do like those other things? Like when you think about it on an individual level, do you still think of it the same way? I, I think people do. They just don't realize it. So Oliveira didn't want to fight in Abu Dhabi because mm -hmm. he's going to fight Islam Magachev, who's Muslim, and he's going to be like surrounded by all the elite Saudi Arabian Muslims. And who knows how judges may impact. He wanted to fight at home. Right. And then fighting at home also has the added benefit of you don't have to fuck with your time zone and your sleep schedule. Yeah. So you go to, you go to Abu Dhabi, you have to change your sleeping patterns. Yep. You're, in Brazil, you don't have to change your sleeping patterns. So those sleeping patterns would fall under heaven, right, of, of what uh, Sun Shu is saying. Mm -hmm. And similarly, like there's a mythical fighter, C-level Kane, right? Because Kane Velasquez, I think, fought Fabricio Verdum in Mexico City, mm -hmm. which has a very high altitude, I believe higher than even Denver, which is the mile high city. And people are like, oh, Kane couldn't handle the altitude. All right, that's earth. Like, you know, that's geography. Like all yeah. of these things are going to play a part. I think a lot of fighters avoid January fights because they don't want to fast during Christmas. Like they want to enjoy time with their or family. Muslim fighters during Ramadan. Muslim fighters during Ramadan, yeah. yeah. So I also I think, know people won't accept fights in certain cities because of how they might get taxed in that state. Economics, right? Yep. And economics is essential in war. I'm sure Sun Shu is going to talk about that. Yeah, so, sure. Yeah. yeah, how costly it can be. I like how you linked it to MMA exactly. I think all of these things can be linked to everything, especially okay. fighting and business, anything competitive. Okay. Um, and I sent you the link. The way they break it down is all these like numbers. So that's how I'm going like 12, 13. Okay. Uh, so just quick stanzas to understand. So number 12, therefore in your deliberations, when seeking to determine the military conditions, let them be made on the basis of comparison in this way. Which of the two sovereign is imbued with the moral law. Which of the two generals has the most ability? With whom lie the advantages derived from heaven and earth? On which side is discipline most rigorously enforced? Ooh, I like that a lot. Which army is stronger? Hmm. On which side are officers and men more highly trained? In which army is there the greater consistency, constancy, both in reward and punishment? Oh, that's great. I like this a lot. Right. And so he's trying to get us to, to figure out who's going to win. Let's just take like America and Afghanistan. Let's just apply this. Let's see. What okay. Happens. Which of the two sovereign is imbued with the moral law? I guess this gets tricky. Yeah. Because <laughs> America definitely has a much better system of governance than Afghanistan. Okay. It's not even close. Afghanistan is ruled by extremist Muslim clerics that are violent, right? The Taliban kills people for reading or talking to a girl. Like, yeah, they'll kill the guy. They'll kill the guy and the girl for adultery just for talking. So, but it could also be argued we went to their land. Yeah. To fuck with them. So they have the moral of defense. Okay. Which of the two generals has the most ability? Mm. Well, America's got the most yeah. ability. Their kind of way. All right. With whom lie the advantages derived from heaven and earth? Afghanistan? Of course. Home field That's advantage. Yeah. Right? And, and the mountains, the desert, the water. People don't realize like how much money is needed just to ship all of our weapons and shit to Afghanistan. Yeah. Each time there's an issue, everything just, just costs three, four, five times as much. 
where people are hiding and stuff like dude yeah crazy on which side is discipline most rigorously enforced I, it's 100 percent america I, I i've seen plenty of videos of afghan soldiers high on opium just fucking <laughs> i mean dude i don't know no we're more disciplined their soldiers are they have rapists and pedophiles and i i know i sound like okay you might i hate afghanistan but they have terrible people okay it it might be this in terms of like maybe like personal conduct but like discipline could also be looked at as like the fervent that they 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 are for their like belief system you know what i mean oh great point yeah they are very disciplined in that sense of like i'll I'll die for god and i'll die for my land right which which is like it that's like that's tough to contend with sure which army is stronger I guess it goes that way too, right? There's emotional strength and there's physical strength. Okay, but I think our physical strength beats their emotion. (laughs) No, what I'm saying is our emotional weakness because we're over there. Okay, fair. I don't think our soldiers want to die there. Where I think their soldiers are like, fuck it, I don't care if I die. Our army's clearly stronger though. If we have a neutral ground, we kill them. Yes. Yeah, like no... But 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 it is a neutral. So yeah, that's the thing. Yeah. On which side are the officers and men more highly trained? Definitely America. Yeah. It's not even close. Yeah. In which army is there the greater constancy both in reward and punishment? Ooh. It, it depends on how you... Rev- you know, because their reward is like in God's eyes. Like you're doing yeah. the, the biggest reward there is. Yeah, 72 virgins. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay. Like for America, you're just getting a salary. Yeah, this is, yeah, this is interesting. A medal. All right, whatever. So it's yeah. debatable. Yeah. So we'll we'll move on. Number 14. Okay. By means of these seven considerations, I can forecast victory and defeat. Number 15. The general that har- hearkens to my counsel and acts upon it will conquer. Let such a one be retained in command. The general that hearkens not to my counsel nor acts upon it will suffer defeat. Let such a one be dismissed. So Sun Shu is basically saying, listen to me, you're going to fucking... Yeah, pretty um, much. Yeah. While heading the... Number 16. While heading the profit of my counsel, avail yourself also of any helpful circumstances over and beyond the ordinary rules. Number 17. According as circumstances are favorable, one should modify one's plans. That's interesting because like in 15, he's like, the general should just listen to my counsel or you will suffer defeat. And then the next two tenets are kind of like, hey, like also be ready to change game plans. <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? I think, uh, I think uh, what's his name? Frank Underwood, Kevin Spacey's character in House of Cards said something like, yeah, the road to success is paved with hypocrisy like yes there's different sometimes you got to do something but sometimes you got to change i get it like the goal can still be the same and you might have to change the game plan a little bit there but yeah that's that's interesting like i i would imagine maybe someone that writes like those three in a row maybe puts the first one somewhere and then those other two further away from that but that's that's got to be deliberate there too exactly yeah number 18 one of the most famous quotes from uh all warfare is based on deception. I love this one. 19. Hence. Wait, wait. I don't even think we should go past that like that quickly. Okay. No, because I think the next one goes deeper into 18. Okay, sure. Fine. So all warfare is based on deception. Hence, 
When able to attack, we must seem unable. When using our forces, we must seem inactive. When we are near, we must make the enemy believe we are far away. When we are far away, we must make him believe we are near. Hold out baits to entice the enemy. Feign disorder and crush him. Yeah, I, I think, uh, I mean, that, that's three tenants right there, but it's all kind of the same. Um, mm -hmm. I think if there's anything, those are like the three. And I would, yeah, they, yeah, I would apply this like individually, grand scale, macro, micro, however you want to think of this. I think this is like, if you could take anything away, I think it's that. Yeah, keep them second guessing. So you never know. It's, it's how you tip the scales. Whether you're the weaker or the stronger, you tip the scales in such a way that it doesn't matter. I think that's the difference maker. Yeah, and there's so many famous stories. There was one, I, I don't know if this was Sun Shu or Lao Tzu. It was a Chinese general. And the famous story was like there was an army of like 100,000 coming. And his army was not ready at all. Like, you know, like they were everywhere. But outside the gate, he stood on the wall and he was just playing a flute. And like the army comes and they're like, and he just like kind of like opened the doors. And we would like to thank one of our sponsors, Protect Your Neck MMA. It's like the Wu-Tang song. They have a lot of great rash guards and shorts, make great gifts. If you go to our Instagram page, philosophy underscore fighting, you'll find the link to Protect Your Neck MMA, and you'll get a 15% discount on any of the goods that they sell. Tell Michael Shear, the owner, that you know us. Great people. These are created by jujitsu guys, for jujitsu guys, or any combat sport and fans of 90s hip-hop. All right, cheers. So the general opens the gates, and then the impeding army is like, why the fuck is he playing the flute? Like, why is he seem so calm? Why is he opening the gates? And they're like, like, let's go back. You know? And so they like retreated. And there's like another similar story in like an old Kung Fu movie where there was a guy that was like a tea master who just served tea in this like really intricate Japanese way. And then he was like challenged by some samurai. And then like he goes to another samurai, like, how do I fight this person? And they were like, well, just do what you know, you know, and just like, so like basically that guy like serves tea to that other samurai and then it's like, okay, I'm ready to fight. And then that samurai goes, why is he so calm? Why is he serving tea to me? Like so calmly and like patient, like, and just like you mentally psych them out where they're like, mm. All right, I'm not going to fight you. Like you're, you seem too cool right mm -hmm. now. You have something up your sleeve. Yeah. There's a million such uh, anecdotes we could give. Yeah. I like those. Uh, yeah. I, I'm a big believer, even at individual level, faints, faking it. Yeah. Like, yeah, everything. That's why I was telling you, know, Nino, if you're listening to this, we should, I want to work on more wrist locks because even if they're not effective, I want to just get in people's heads. Oh yeah. They're, th they're like thinking about it. And so that way it's already a victory. Dude, it's my biggest sub. I they're effective. They work. They're not so high right. percentage, but you throw them out enough, you get them. But I bet you, you make people keep their arms closer to them. And then so now 100%. when you shoot, the when mental you shoot warfare alone them, is the biggest edge. Like really, like I would say two thirds of everyone I roll with is always literally just in the, in the, in their roles, just saying, what the fuck? Like, what am I like? They get frustrated. Like, what am I supposed to do? And I'm like, I tell them tap and then they laugh. All right. 21. If he is secure at all points, be prepared for him. If he is superior in strength, evade him. 22. 
If your opponent is of choleric temper, seek to irritate him. Mm. Pretend to be weak that he may grow arrogant. 23. If he is taking his ease, give him no rest. If his forces are united, separate. 24. Attack him where he is unprepared. Appear where you are not expected. 25. These military devices leading to victory must not be divulged beforehand. So still, this is all on the same theme of just keep them on edge. Yeah. Fuck with them, right? And be weak, be strong, be quick, be slow. They'll never know your next move and make sure they don't know your next move. Yeah. And then just play your strengths, play against their weaknesses. Yeah. Number 26. Now the general who wins a battle makes many calculations in his temple. Err, the battle is fought. The general who loses a battle makes but few calculations beforehand. Thus do many calculations lead to victory and few calculations to defeat. How much more no calculation at all? It is by attention to this point that I can foresee who is likely to win or lose. Mm. So prepare, 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 prepare. So that was the first chapter, laying the groundwork. Any comments on that first chapter? Yeah, I mean, I think this first chapter is really everything. If you would pay attention to understanding your opponent's strengths and weaknesses, knowing what yours are, and making sure you take advantage of that by, again, keeping them guessing, making them unprepared, making them more tired than you, finding the grounds in which you can win and exploiting those the most. I don't think that's, you know, I mean, this Sun Tzu was the forerunner for this. Nowadays, it's thought of as more obvious. Because, we read, because we've read his work. And, exactly. like they, and everyone's they been te- influenced by him, of course. Exactly. They teach this stuff at West Point. Like this stuff is yeah. never to be disregarded. 100%. It's forever valuable. But I, um, think, I think when people do think about, well, especially thinking like combat sports, you think about those things the more experience you have doing them. Yes. You're able to analyze how someone stands, how they put their weight, what steps they take, what they might already know. You can almost start insinuating or guessing what they already know based on just those early things of viewing them. And then, yeah, like you're, you're constantly calculating like, oh, how, where is their range? What are their steps? Where are they going? Do they have a favorite side? Like, oh, these are all things I think about in the first 10 seconds. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Should we move on to chapter two? Yeah. Okay. So waging war, chapter two, number one. Sun Shu said, in the operations of war, where there are in the field a thousand swift chariots, as many heavy chariots, and a hundred thousand mail-clad soldiers with provisions enough to carry them a thousand li, I'm guessing miles. The expenditure at home and at front, including entertainment of guests, small items such as glue and paint, and sums spent on chariots and armor, will reach the total of a thousand ounces of silver a day. Such is the cost of raising an army of 100,000 men. Interesting. He talks about economics right away and waging war. Yeah, Uh, super expensive and a lot of work. Yes. Number two, when you engage in actual fighting, if victory is long in coming, then men's weapons will grow dull and their ardor will dampen. If you lay siege to a town, you will exhaust your strength. Mm. 
Three, again, if the campaign is protracted, the resources of the state will not be equal to the strain. And this kind of goes back to what we were saying about Afghanistan. Like they just outlasted us, right? And it's hard to fight in another place. Like you're going to get tired. Yeah, it's funny that like this tenant right here is also like the Vietnam War or just in fact, yep. most wars now. Like yes. it's, it's an economic war in addition to it, but it's not really considered as much. And but so maybe, be. yeah, maybe you shouldn't say now. Maybe it was always like that, right? Yeah, he's writing it, like, but, but to us in our history, we can apply it. Number yeah. four, now, when your weapons are dulled, your ardor dampened, your strength exhausted, and your treasure spent, other chieftains will spring up to take advantage of your extremity. Then no man, however wise, will be able to avert the consequences that must ensue. Shit, that just gives me goosebumps about America. Five, thus, though we have heard of stupid haste in war, cleverness has never been seen associated with long delays. There is, number six, there is no instance of a country having benefited from prolonged warfare. (laughs) Brilliant. Seven, it is only one who is thoroughly acquainted with the evils of war that can thoroughly understand the profitable way of carrying it on. Mm. And I think that goes back to why we've done bad in these wars, because our Congress, our Senate, they haven't actually fought, and they're easy to be like, oh, well, let's just keep fighting. Like, throw money at the problem. Yeah. Like, I I feel like governments do that. Bring war material with you from home, but forage on the enemy. Thus, the army will have food enough for its needs. Number 10, poverty of the state causes an army to be maintained by contributions from a distance. Contributing to maintain an army at a distance causes the people to be impoverished. Our country is definitely poorer than it was before this war on terror. 11. On the other hand, the proximity of an army causes prices to go up, and high prices cause the people's substance to be drained away. Hmm. Number 12. When their substance is drained away, the peasantry will be afflicted by heavy exaction, which is why... People here are like, yo, what the fuck are we doing fighting, right? Like yeah. Donald, Donald Trump said Iraq was a waste, right to Jeb, Bush, Jeb Bush's face. If he said that 10 years earlier, people would be like, you're unpatriotic, Donald Trump. Yeah. He said it, he said it when he said it, and people were like, well, you're fucking right. Like, fuck the Bushes. Just a matter of time. 13, 14. With this loss of substance and exhaustion of strength, the homes of the people will be stripped bare, and three-tenths of their income will be dissipated. While the government expenses for broken chariots, worn out horses, breastplates and helmets, bows and arrows, spears and shields, protective mantles, drought auction and heavy wagons will amount to four tenths of its total revenue. Hmm. We are paying three tenths of our, like, you know, like income and taxes and stuff like it's crazy that these numbers are this similar. Number 15. Hence, a wise general makes a point of foraging on the enemy. One cartload of the enemy's provisions is equivalent to 20 of one's own. And likewise, a single pickle of his provender is equivalent to 20 from one's own store. Number 16. Now, in order to kill the enemy, our men must be roused to anger that there may be advantage from defeating the enemy. They must have their rewards. Mm. So now we're getting a little bit into like 
Geneva Convention, can you take other people's shit? Like, are you invading them just to steal their resources? And yeah, maybe the rewards aren't just their resources, though. They have to have they have to have a vested interest, you know. I mean, the sinister part of this is rewards for armies in history has generally meant rape and women. Yes, like th- that's the reward. So, I I wonder if he's subtly putting a nod towards that. Yeah, uh, maybe. Num- Number 17, therefore, in chariot fighting, when 10 or more chariots have been taken, those should be rewarded who took the first. Our own flags should be substituted for those of the enemy and the chariots mingled and used in conjunction with ours. The captured soldiers should be kindly treated and kept. Mm -hmm. 18, this is called using the conquered foe to augment one's own strength. 19, in war then, let your great object be victory, not lengthy campaigns. And number 20, thus it may be known that the leader of armies is the arbiter of the people's fate, the man on whom it depends whether the nation shall be in peace or in peril. That is waging war. How did you feel about that? Yeah, that, that's great. I think, I think it's getting on a lot more into specifics now. And... I mean, the specifics are still broad that you can apply this again anywhere. I think that's like the beauty of his writing or at least the translation of his writing. But there's, yeah, like the context of knowing what like something like those rewards we talked about are or it it can be so broad that maybe we're, we're misconstruing what the original intent was in some of these. Yeah, potentially to apply them to what we think. But when he says things like with the loss of substance and exhaustion of strength, the homes of the people will be stripped bare and three tenths of their income will be dissipated. Yeah, Yeah. like that's spot on to like people have been complaining like, oh, shit has gone down since Biden. And like in my head, I'm like, well, open up your mind. It's not like shit has been so great since like 2001. Like we've been headed down this past. And I would say even earlier than 2001, like, you just go into our history how many of our presidents have had uh like run-ins with the law or done things that are illegal or things that seem shady or wars that seem unjust and who are the people that are fighting it's like young 18 19 year olds and yes but but maybe paying for these wars middle maybe our age lightens that up maybe in the past these things were hidden from its people a little bit more better like without social media without the internet a lot of people didn't really know the intents or the bad things that people might be. Now we hold those, sta- those same standards, like, you know, the standards from, let's say, I don't know, 60s, 70s, 50s, whatever it is, whatever standards you want from previous decades in terms of valuing someone's morals or how good they are. But the truth is, we didn't really know who they were. Their skeletons were more hidden. Now it's like everyone's dirty laundry is out to dry. So I feel like it's a different age too. So it, it's easier to say that, but I, I, I don't know if I could totally believe that, like that we're just like this now and we weren't like that earlier. Yeah. I think we've always been like this. And mm-hmm. lately I, 10 years ago, I thought totally different where I was like, Oh my God, we know things now that nobody ever has. And mm-hmm. there's a part, but now I just think we also know so much that we're uncertain of so many things. And I think we're also just getting dumber in a lot of factors, right? Like 70 years ago, you had people that would build houses 
that like would craft like arches in the doors. And okay, like, yes. Yeah. I wouldn't say that we're dumber because we're definitely smarter. We're more ignorant though. Yeah, but like what the, the point I was trying to make about the guy making houses, like if you speak to an engineer from like 70 years ago or like a home builder contractor and like an engineer today, sure, the engineer today I think knows theoretically more things. But we also have like things where it's just easier to build where it's like Legos now. Where like 70 years ago, they had to build stuff from scratch with like far less tools. Yeah. Makes me think they had more of an insight and a wisdom that we have lost. Okay, easiest example. People are terrible with directions now because we don't need to know directions. We can just go on GPS. Yeah. So we know how to get to places more, but we're not better at getting to places, you know, like that yeah. we're unaware of, like we're less wise. And look at the Vietnam War. We were fighting and upset about that. And half the people were like, no, 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 it's to kill communism. And half the people are like, yo, we're just killing random people. And it's the same thing now with the war on terror. Half the people are like, no, 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 we're killing the bad guys. And half the people are like, no, we're killing a lot of people. Like, so, mm-hmm. and we have way more internet. We have way more TV. We have way more media, but we're still divided. And when yeah. he said those numbers of three tenths and four tenths and it's going to come back to haunt the place. Like, yeah, it kind of gave me like a little bit of goosebumps. I'm like, oh shit, this is like what we're reeling with from now because I don't know if we believe in karma or not, but part of me thinks if you cause violence in a region like the Middle East, where you displace tens of millions of people over the last 20 years, is there some karmic retribution that's going to come from it? And it's not karma. It's also economics. We wasted a lot of money. We killed a lot of people. We put a lot sure, of animosity unless you, out unless there. Unless you get them to believe in the same things you do, then it's always a loss. And we didn't really do that good of a job. I know. So that, that's why people say war is useless in general anyway, because the real ideal is that if you can't convince them, then it will never change anyway. Yeah. But to counteract that argument slightly, we fought Japan and now they're like one of our greatest allies. And we fought Correct. Vietnam and we're really good friends with them. Correct. So, and Germany, right? When well, we I mean, fought Germany, again, we're very good friends with them. You could also kill enough people that the remaining people <laughs> have Stockholm syndrome, or you just kill all of the people with other beliefs. I think that is actually a Mao. I think that is a Mao Zedong quote from China, where I think somebody said that quote, where they're like, "If you use violence and it didn't work, it's because you didn't use enough violence." Right. Yeah. And so just keep going. But <laughs> I don't know, right? You have Machiavelli. The ends justify the means. Yes. I don't necessarily believe that. I, I also no. Of course, in Machiavelli didn't say in those exact words either. But yes. No, I mean, I agree with the ends justify the means to a certain extent, but the quality of the means will determine the quality of the ends. The Dalai Lama said that. Like, Mm. I don't think it's so like, oh, well, I won, so it's over. Well, dude, you murdered a lot of people, and some of the people that you need to maintain your society afterwards are going to have a grudge. So you can't just assume, like, they're like, oh, no, now I'm the leader, I won the game, and nobody else is playing the game. The game always continues. Yeah. So my other question was, let's say, you know, we related to this to like an individual level. Would you be able to, you know, think about some of these things at an individual level and still have these apply? I don't know. Some, some of them, no, I don't think some of them. Yes. I I think so. I think you still want to be somewhat kind because yeah, like what was in the U S you had the Hatfields and the McCoys and they just kept fighting and fighting and fighting each other where part of what Sun Shu was saying is win quick and 
treat the enemy with kindness, like if you capture them. So I think there's like some truth to some of that stuff where he was talking about it back then. You don't want to just continue the war by being so barbarous. Yeah. Like yeah. so many Americans think like, oh, we'll just bomb them to death. But then like they kind of like that. You'll just create more terrorists then. Yeah. Uh, well, again, maybe you didn't kill enough or maybe. Yeah, exactly. You can go like to what extreme do you go? But then you'd have to kill the entire country of Afghanistan. But at which right. point the rest of the Middle East will be Dude, like, there's people America. that believe that. Yeah. But then the rest of the Middle East will be like, well, fuck that. I'll fight you now. Maybe. Or maybe that starts to change it. I, I don't know. I mean, that would be such a huge Afghanistan is a huge place. I think we do know. I think nobody has the ability to just kill. If anybody decide, well, I'm going to have to kill billions to get my way, like Thanos, that, that's, there's no way. Yeah, I, think, I think the rest of the world would be like, oh, shit, we have to unite to uh, stop this crazy, huge force. But, I mean, surrounding countries, you don't think are now scared? I mean, dude, if someone blew Mexico off the map, the U.S. would be terrified. Humans are relentless. I think if you tell somebody you're an asshole, like they're going to be like, fuck you. Like, you know, like I think they're going to, and if they feel like the more you abuse them, yes, yeah, some people break and will become submissive. But I think some people also just become like, well, my life already sucks. I'm just going to keep fighting until you finish me. Especially when it's a country and especially when it's a war, how many people like fully just quit and become submerged? Like there's always like retaliation and, sure but i don't even mean like i don't even mean like submissive but also like you can lure them with your strength basically do you know what i mean yes which is why some people were saying we spent five trillion dollars in afghanistan we would have better been better off spending 50 billion dollars on ipads and dope electronics and just giving it to the afghanis and then Mm. they would have been like they would have been like fuck the taliban but instead, we spent a hundred times that amount <sighs> on Dude, bombing them. I don't them, know if that would have worked either. Us. Well, I think that would work way more. Like, give them money and food and education. They're like, I don't want to fight about it. Nobody, nobody wants to fight if they have if they ha- if they enjoy their lives. Yeah, but they have to like do it themselves and believe that what you're doing is not taking away from their pie. I think you're right to both extent, but- both monetarily and like religiously. So there was a there was a terrorist group called I think Black September in Palestine and they wanted to get they wanted to diminish the strength of Black September a little bit because they wanted to sign a peace deal with Israel. This was in the 90s when they were going to sign a peace deal there was a prime minister in Israel called Rabbi Yitzhak and so they offered these Pal- not the Israelis but the Palestinians themselves offered these people in Black September a deal where they said if you get married we'll give you $5000. And if you have a child, we'll give you $10,000. And $5,000 then in Palestine was enough to start a decent life with your wife. And if you had a kid, another $5,000 was enough to be like, all right, I could take care of this kid for a while. And I could invest in a fig farm or something. And then they asked these people like two years later, okay, we want to do some terrorist activity to see who was down to join the cause. Everyone that married and had a kid was like, nah. And that's the yeah. thing. You, so, you, so America is like, we're planning on fighting all these people. 
But part of it might just be like, well, we'll give you $10,000. Get married, have a kid. Well, I mean, be well. maybe it's not about what they have available to them in that instance. Maybe it's just like having a kid made them realize like, no, I need to be here for my kid. That's exactly, but that we're saying the same thing. Okay, well, no, in that like, I can't see my kid grow up. It's like, it's like a, not, not like, oh, I have it all. I don't want to lose that. It's more like it would be irresponsible to do that. I think it's the same thing. You think it's the same thing? I don't think yeah. of those things is the I, same thing. I think they all channel towards each other. Where I think 10 years ago, you're more likely to join some war for America than you are now. Because you have two kids and a wife and you have responsibilities. Oh, yeah. Maybe parents. you could say that. Yeah, that's Your true. parents are getting older. Like you just have like certain things where it's like, like yeah, I have to go to war for my kids. Yeah. Okay. You could say that. Yeah. And that's only if they came here to invade. And then you'd be like, sure. Yeah. But till then, you're not, you don't love America enough to be like, I'm leaving right now. You know, to like, to fight, there's, it's just not going to be the case. And so, but if you told Americans or people like, hey, that's the way we're going to win this war by giving the other side money, they'll be like, yo, absolutely not. They'd be pissed. They'd be like, yo, give me 10K. But meanwhile, we're each spending 100K to continue these wars and not even win. I suppose, but it's also hard to like, it's also hard to swallow the money we spend, you know, internationally when domestically a lot of people need money. No, but we don't even give the people domestically money anyway. And well, yeah, I mean, you could say that there's their, it's their argument. Like we have homeless on the streets, but we throw money elsewhere. So, yeah, the argument should be we're totally wasting how we're fighting wars. We really should be using like we have enough technology. Where well, you can make that argument for sure. If we're not winning it, then yes. We haven't won. Yeah. But it's like the last things we've really won where yeah. we've like accomplished all our goals and missions. Like not Japan. Really. Yeah, Japan. Yeah. <laughs> And that was like a long time ago. And yeah. So, and yeah. I mean, and Japan was particularly brutal. They were just as bad as the Nazis. And so I'm not somebody that's saying we shouldn't fight wars. But I think the mentality that we are using to fight these wars is, yeah, we're, we're just not being very smart about it. I think we could be a little bit better. And it, because it becomes political. And so, yeah, I like that Sun Shu was talking about politics, the commander. He was talking about geography, heaven and earth. And he was also yeah. talking about economics, like all of these things are still valid. I'm kind of excited to go through all of these now in the upcoming weeks. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I, I mean, I, I love these philosophers. I love the ideas of war and violence or warfare. Whether I mean, talking about, you know, atrocities is awful. But when I think about it on an individual level and just like a combat sport type of experience, I love that. Yeah, and so we're going to go through some other books, too. I have a book called Sex and War, which is quite fascinating, talking about the biological aspects of war and some things we touched upon, like why is rape used as a tool or method in war and what other animals are also group on group fighting. You know, we're one of the few that actually do that, where you'll see a shark and shark fight, but you won't always see like 40 sharks versus 40 other sharks. Like Mm -hmm. why are humans like doing that? Bonobos, certain monkeys do that. Yeah, And there's also another great book called 33 Strategies of War. So yeah, we're going to try to bring a little bit more philosophy into the podcast as well. Yeah. All right, guys. Thanks for listening. Like always, we'll catch you next time. Peace. Hey guys, this is Anoop. I'm sure you've heard. I have a startup called Renta. You can visit me at renta.com, R-E-N-T-A-H.com. The idea is you could rent any type of good service or space. So you could rent a Arturo to teach you Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. 
or you could rent uh, my friend Andy to uh, set up your podcasting equipment for your next gig, or you could rent uh, the Philosophy of Fighting podcast to uh, promote a commercial on our podcast or some gear, right? Like our friend Michael Shear did, if you want some Wu-Tang apparel. So uh, check out Renta. It would mean a lot to me. Cheers. Thanks for listening to the Philosophy of Fighting podcast. If you have any questions, suggestions, or if you would like to fight us, send us a DM on Instagram at philosophy underscore fighting.